from University of Puget Sound, it's What We Do, a weekly podcast about the innovators, teachers, dreamers, and performers of Puget Sound and the stories behind the work they do. Well, hello. Welcome back. I'm Chuck Luce, the editor of Arches, the alumni magazine at the University of Puget Sound. And with me here, this sunny, yay, sun <laughs> at last afternoon is our friend Suzanne Holland who is the John B. McGee Professor of Science and Values, a professor of religious studies, and director of the bioethics pro uh, program here at the college. Uh, professor Holland is co-teaching a course this semester called Clinical Practicum in Bioethics. Two of the students in that course, Maddie Luther, a senior, and Grant Garcia, a, a junior, are also here today. Um, I, I know it's a ridiculously busy time of year for all, of you, so thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you. <clears throat> Can we start a, a little, to start talking a little about the bioethics program itself? Uh, it, it's now in its third year? Right, yeah. right. Uh, we um, started it three years ago. We've grown um, pretty significantly. We, from about, I guess we had about 10 students. We have 45 right now in the program in three years. And I think it's attractive to people because it's an emphasis program, curricular emphasis, and it's not a major or a minor. Although I'm hearing a lot that some people would like it to be a major, um, but we can talk about that later. And it's a six, six credit curricular emphasis in which you um, take a basic bioethics class, uh, biology 101 or 111, and then three electives and a senior capstone seminar. And this um, course in clinical bioethics is an elective course under the ethics uh, umbrella of the bioethics program. But we're the only, so far as we know, we're the only liberal arts, we are certainly the only liberal arts college of our peer group that has any program like this. And I think it's, it's I mean, I know that it's rare among liberal arts colleges entirely. Uh, and I think we might have the only one west of the Mississippi. And, and so you guys are, are, are your majors sort of related to this in some way or it just interests you as a topic? I'm a biochemistry major um, and I'm interested in uh, going into medicine and so the biology. And you're in the honors program? Yes, I'm in the honors <laughs> program. I've got a math minor too if we're listing stuff. Yes. Uh, the bioethics emphasis I felt like was a really good way to tie in different aspects of a medical career that aren't taught in just straight biochemistry. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah, and I'm a molecular and cellular biology major. Um, and for me, I think um, I felt like there was something missing when I was taking all my science classes. And I think for me, I found bioethics recently, actually. Um, and I just felt like it kind of filled the hole that I had questions of all the science that I was doing. I also. Um, I'm looking to maybe be a genetic counselor in the future, and talking through the ethics of that is very important, and I think it's kind of why I chose to, to do. What does a genetic counselor <laughs> do? I mean, you talk to, um, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it, but um, the I think what a lot of people are familiar with, or could be familiar with, is um, talking to um, new parents or parents who want to have children and talking through kind of what possibilities could be to have a child with Down syndrome or some genetic other genetic disease, um, and kind of talking through what that could look like. You know, what 
what you could do to that pregnancy if need be. Um, you know, and the other aspect to that too is talking to adults with who do have genetic diseases who also might be wanting to have children at that point. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of other things that you can do um, that they can specialize in. It's kind of a therapist for genetics. Or yes. Genetic, yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And these are all new questions that we're still trying to figure out exactly. the answers to. And that's one of the things that makes this course particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. I would, would it think. makes the course of study interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Well, let, can we talk about the course specifically? Yeah. Um, it, it, you're co-teaching it, is that right? Yes, I'm co-teaching <coughs> it with uh, Ryan Ferdyhart, who's the clinical, uh, clinical bioethicist at Multicare Health Systems here, which encompasses three hospitals, maybe more than three but um, Tacoma General, Good Samaritan, and um, what am I forgetting? Auburn. Auburn, thank you. So um, he is a, a person who's trained in clinical bioethics. I'm a, I am a person who's trained in academic bioethics. So we make a, I hope, a good team. <laughs> and he, uh, he enjoys being on the academic side, and I enjoy being on the clinical side, and we kind of complement each other. But we are able to have access to um, Tacoma General for our students, like Grant and Maddie, to go in and, and really get a, a very much hands-on sense of what are the dilemmas that happen in a hospital setting that actually have to be decided um, on an ethical basis immediately. So mm -hmm. that's what we've been doing. Can you, can you tell me more about sort of the, the chronological progression of the course? How did, how did it start out? You know, where was it mid-semester? And we'll talk a minute about the yesterday, the big the, <laughs> yeah. the clinical practicum. Yeah, it started out, it alternated between the campus uh, and the hospital, the classroom and the hospital. Um, we started out having a few sessions on campus in which uh, they learned, they had already learned, they had had basic bioethics before but they um, were required to dig deeper into the theoretical framework that we use in hospital settings, which is called the principles approach. And they, they read a lot of um, academic articles and theory, but they were, uh, it's an academic approach that's geared toward making clinical decisions. So it's not just um, theoretical, not just intellectual. So they got this background in that and sort of some some tools and some frameworks to use. And then we would go to the hospital, have um, uh, what we called a rotation on a different topic with a different uh, perspective from a different person in the hospital each time we were in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like chaplaincy, um, what, uh, palliative care, pediatric, pediatric surgery. surgery, right? Nursing. Uh huh, mm -hmm. nursing. Um, why I can't, uh, oncology, nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, just very different, different topics um, and different perspectives from different healthcare providers, and all of those people were involved in making ethical decisions in the hospital. And can you you tell us what what were what were some of the activities you you took, readings that you did, uh, things that that uh, you did in the course? Um, I felt that this course, as opposed to the Intro to Bioethics course, was a lot more applicable, I guess, real-world scenarios that were kind of thrown into our laps, and we have to really uh, sift through all the pros and cons of every aspect of it. Um, I think for the most part, this, uh, this, this course was more geared towards real 
problems, and that's what a lot of the readings were addressing, um, were the direct two sides of every issue. Well, and I think one of my favorite days of the class um, that I that we got to do was um, in the hospital. We got to talk to a palliative care nurse, and um, it was we were talking about a specific case, and then that patient was actually in the hospital, so we got to go visit her room and kind of see it actually in action and not just like reading a case on a piece of paper which can do one thing and mm -hmm. definitely you can um, you know apply your knowledge to that but to actually see the patient was I think really eye-opening for me and kind of just changed all my perspectives of how I like you know there's a lot of different contextual features that you need to be thinking about when you are when, when you're face to face with these people, when, you, when you're together with them, rather than dealing with them, reading about these these case studies in a book, does it does it change the way you respond or or your feelings about the kinds of decisions you're making? I think it is when you uh, really understand that it's a real world application and it's actually happening. It, it there's unavoidable contextual features. I think and even if someone tries to not take anything like that into consideration, I think it's really difficult not to. Um, it brings in a whole new aspect. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So there's a, a tremendous advantage to, to having, rather than doing book-type case studies. To can, can I also, ask them a question? For people who are listening to this who don't know what palliative care is, for example. Um, so, what, so what is palliative care, and what is something that's, that came face-to-face -face for you in looking at that topic in the hospital that changed your opinion on something? Palliative care is generally focused on end-of-life issues and the bioethical bio conflicts that arise with um, someone nearing the end of their life. But really for me, um, you know, being able to see this patient actually like trying so hard to stay alive was like the biggest part and like actually like conversing with the nurse. Noticing, I mean, felt like she knew that we were there, so I think that might be... She was on life support, right? Yes, yeah. she was on life support. So, you know, it was the question of, do you... I think we were trying to go from... She was on full code, which means that if she were to crash, they would do CPR, they would do everything they could to keep her alive, but, you know, the case was talking about maybe bringing her down to comfort measures, which is just kind of not doing that. Letting her die. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so one of the ethical issues that arises here is, uh, are you doing harm to the patient by putting her on full code, even though you're keeping her alive? Uh, she was, I think, what, 92 maybe? Yeah, very in old. her 90s. Very, <laughs> very frail. frail. Very frail. Well, full code means you're going to crack their ribs. Yeah. Because you're going to break her ribs. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's a harm. Mm -hmm. uh, when we try to do no harm, that's one of the principles of bioethics. But on the other hand, uh, are we what are we keeping her alive for? Quality mm -hmm. of life, you know. So, see, so seeing that face to face made a difference, other, rather than just reading about it in a book. I oh, think yeah. so. And <laughs> just reading reading about that specific scenario in a book, or on for a lot of the other cases we dealt with, was even more um, eye opening than just the principles that apply to a generic case in an intro class, I suppose. These are all happening in a clinical setting, the, the right. things that you're, you're yeah. looking at. Is there carryover to your daily life, for say, or uh, to what's going on in your families? 
Yeah, I think... Can, can we... Do you want to talk about yeah, this? Yeah, sure. I mean, I just... I think in bioethics, I've learned... We talk about death a lot, which is kind of morbid, but it's true. I mean, that's where a lot of sometimes these ethics cases come is surround, you know, surrounding death. Um, and so I think one thing that I've taken away from it is, you know, talking to people that I love about what they would want when they maybe were in a situation where they may not be able to make decisions for themselves. So... You know, I've had conversations with my parents and my grandparents about, you know, really what what do you want at the end of life? Because, you know, a lot of these cases that why ethics gets called in is because they may not have somebody to make those decisions for them or, you know, things like that. So that's, I guess. Or the family fights. Or the family yeah. fights. So that's another thing is kind of getting all my family on one page. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so, so yeah. you're, you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the, the yeah, curve I think on that one. Something that I've never, ever thought of until... Taking this but class I, I had, hadn't thought of this, but this is a yeah. factor that, that you must be working on all the time in these clinical settings. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yesterday, uh, you had sort of a final project for the course. It was a, a, a clinical practicum. practicum uh, and what all? What happened? Well, Ryan who is the other teacher. He took several cases that he's dealt with and modified them, changed them a little bit, and assigned each, each group was assigned two different major principles of bioethics to compare and contrast. There are four yes, principles of bioethics. <laughs> which are? Yes. Which are? Yes. Which are beneficence, non-maleficence, respect for the patient's autonomy, and then applying justice. Okay, that, that, that's, that, that's the uh, summary the version. Can, summary we, can version we expand on that a little bit? Beneficence would be doing good, trying to heal somebody. Um, non-maleficence would be avoiding harm, um, not breaking a frail patient's ribs. Um, respect for autonomy is respecting the patient's choices, what they would like to do. Um, and then justice is taking into account distribution of resources, uh, demographic features. Am I missing anything else in that <laughs> category? <laughs> Well, what, is, uh, what are people owed um, right. when, when there are scarce resources, and who should get them, mm-hmm. right. and on what basis? So we were, we were assigned, each group was assigned two of those uh, principles, and a case that was a real case with a few changes, and we were, uh, we were told to figure it out and, and come to know, a conclusion. But you didn't know ahead of time. In 30 minutes, they had, we yeah. had to come up with an answer to... And how large are the groups? The uh, three people. Three people 12, in each group. The, the class is limited to 12 students. Okay. And they have to apply to get in. They can't just register. So um, we had four groups. And we gave them cases. They knew they were going to have cases that, that were around two principles in conflict, two different principles in conflict. So they could right. study the principles, but they had no idea what they were going to hear, and it was entirely oral. So they had 30 minutes to figure out a case they had never seen and then present it to... Everyone who was there. Were you both in the same group? Yes. We were in the same you group. Were, oh, can we talk about your case? Our case had a 65-year-old woman who was um, had a lot of serious medical issues, including advanced dementia, so she wasn't able to make decisions for herself. Um, high blood pressure, diabetes. Um, there were lots more. There were about six or seven medical issues that I can't remember. And she had a... <clears throat> clot in a catheter that was in her arm, I believe, mm-hmm. and it had to be replaced in order for her to return to her nursing home. Our, if you want to go through the major um, options, we... 
Yeah, so um, we kind of decided there were three options that we would that could happen in this case. Um, our what, first... Why was the ethics consult called in this case? If the catheter was placed, she would be able to be released back to her nursing home. Um, if the catheter wasn't placed, she would likely die. And so it was a um, addressing her quality of life um, without anybody to tell us how she felt about her quality of life. Well, and because she didn't have any family either to make these decisions for her, and she was, because of the advanced dementia, not fully competent of, you know, making decisions, so that's why it was called. Um, but, yeah, so we decided there were three different options that would could have happened in this case. Um, one was to place the catheter and keep her in the hospital, but that is kind of very... Risking infection. Um, which may not be as great for her. Um, our second option was to place the catheter and send her back to the nursing home where we, where she could continue her life that she was living before she um, the clot happened. And the third choice was to just put her on comfort measures and just see what happens from there. Our conclusion we came to was <laughs> to, even though we couldn't get the patient's actual um, preferences to try to work with the nursing facility and any other family we could find to determine whether the patient felt like her quality of life was worth um, going through the trouble of a, a uh, surgery. Um, and then depending on that, we would either switch her to comfort measures and let her die with uh, peace rather than dealing with more surgeries mm -hmm. or try to place a catheter and send her back to the place she supposedly really liked to live. So. There is a right or correct, is there a correct answer here? There's never a right answer. <laughs> and that's the, the correct answer. answer. <laughs> there is never the correct right answer, answer is there's never a correct yeah. answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so if there had been other choices, uh, so you, you, you made these decisions based on the things that you described earlier, uh, what best best for the for the for the patient, um, mm -hmm. and you considered these other options, not as good, not possible, not. Uh... Yeah, our issue was because we weren't able to talk to family, we weren't able to figure out her preferences. So we kind of how we you know, figured out all the options. We, our group made a flow chart. So we kind of, you know, at the top was, um, you know, figure out from the assisted, assisted living um, facility, just, you know, did she, and it was hard being, there was a lot of questions about how we would determine her quality of life. But, you know, it's like, is she, you know, happy being there? Is she going to dinner and talking with friends there? And like who we would talk to at the nursing facility was also a question that we got asked a lot. You know, it was just, trying to figure out her quality of life and from there you know if she yes she we could determine that she likes to live she likes to live a happy life she's happy in the nursing facility we said beneficence doing good would be to place the catheter give it another shot and if that happened then you know by that point if that clot were to happen again that's when we would go to comfort measures but you know if her quality of life she's not liking where she's living Throw, you know, go comfort measures, go non-maleficence. Don't do the harm of trying this catheter again. Um, don't try the harm of, yeah. uh, don't uh, apply the harm of 
going through a surgery only to return to a life that she did not like. Yeah. Was one of the answers. So what they were looking at also was, because you use those four principles in clinical decisions, mm -hmm. the four principles that we talked about, um, they had principles in conflict. The principles all conflict. So how do you make a decision? Which principle is the rationale you use for allowing your decision to happen? And you, you can't just do these things willy-nilly because they have to chart. You, you know, an ethicist charts in the hospital just like a doctor does. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a justification written in the chart for the decision that's made. So that's what they were grappling with, the yeah. conflict between doing good and doing no harm. Mm -hmm. Was it stressful? Um, it was really stressful because of how fast we had to come up with this. Have we missed anything? I, this is wildly interesting. I, yeah. I, I'm afraid I, I don't know all the questions to ask. So, Suzanne, what, what more do you think listeners out there would, would want to know about this topic? Well, um, I think I'd be, I'd be interested to know what uh, Grant and Maddie think. Like, if you're a... If you're a student who's um, never heard of a clinical bioethics class before, what, what do you think they would want to know? Um, I think as a pre-med student, uh, I think it was really, really valuable. Um, it brought a lot of other factors of medicine that I guess normally aren't the first thing that you think of when you're trying to go through a pre-med program and trying to get all your science classes done. That taking a religion course isn't necessarily your first thought, but realizing the applicability of bioethics to everything in the medical field was eye-opening, uh, beneficial, and I think that it will make any pre-med student who tries to, or any pre-med student who takes this class into a better physician or whatever they're trying to be. And I, and I expect useful having this exposure so early in the process. Yeah, and I think for me, um, you know, I may be pre-med, I may be not, I don't know yet. Um, I do think that just anybody could benefit from taking a class like this, or just bioethics in general, because I think for me it's opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I've learned a lot of, I think, life lessons, honestly, um, just how to decide ethically and not, you know, just stick to morals all the time. Just to be able to talk about hard topics in a very ethical way um and yeah i mean you asked me earlier about you know what i you know life things that i've learned and i think that really stays true and i think a lot of people could learn from taking just bioethics in general anything else we want to i would I, yeah. I would say that we've heard good things on um i don't know that neither of you have done med school interviews but the, we've heard good things from the um Health, health Professions Advising Committee that stage mock interviews for med school that yeah. the students in the bioethics program are killing the interview process um, over the other students um, without the bioethics program. Right. Not, You've heard that too? Yeah, I did a mock interview oh, anyway you did. because I'm taking a year off so I'll have a chance to do another. So I did a mock interview and a lot of the scenarios, I guess, that they uh, posed to me I already had a background and I kind of understood where they were coming from, what the sides were that were arguing and what the issues were between them. And I did feel a lot more prepared than I think I would have been just being presented with a impossible case that I had never studied. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be very beneficial. 
these folks are are you know we've we've said that you know more now about making decisions in mm-hmm. you know where the rubber meets the road in the hospital then certainly then you're uh, most of your peers when you show up at grad school in in a healthcare field mm-hmm. and that more than some people who serve on hospital ethics committees well thanks this was fascinating uh, i wish we had more time thanks again for joining us today yeah. terrific yeah. congratulations Thank uh, you. on your trip out of here and whatever yeah. comes next and uh Grant, we'll look, we'll look forward to seeing you in medical school for eight years. Thanks, Chuck. What We Do is brought to you by University of Puget Sound. Join us next Wednesday for another story about what we do at Puget Sound. And if you liked this podcast, rate us on iTunes.